Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know what we haven't done in a while, Ben? <laughs> um, make a good podcast? <laughs> you know what else we haven't done in a while, Ben? <laughs> what? Declared war on each other. What? That's right. I declare card war on you, Ben. One, two, three, four. I declare a card war. Let's do it. We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! We're going to war! Of course, by war, I mean uh, the game of cards we play using the Star Trek customizable card game, wherein yeah. uh, Ben and I flip over cards on either side of the recording, and then you and I judge together which card rules the other. It's, it's yeah. generally a round of between three and five. Yeah, we kind of make that up as we go. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it's, feels like a, a good number at the time. It's a fun way to talk about a show that we love and maybe some episodes that we have yet to see. So let's go ahead and start, Ben. I will be using the Star Trek customizable card game expansion pack for the rules of acquisition. Oh, Ferengi-themed. Yeah. This has got uh, this has got Quark on the cover of the box and its packages. What about you? I just have like a plain old deck in front of me. This is uh, a white border edition 80 card starter set of customizable card game cards. And uh, I have not looked at these before. I, we, like we receive so many of these now. <laughs> like the two of us probably have the two largest collections <laughs> of these of anybody that doesn't know how to play the actual game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally wasted on us. <laughs> but not wasted because we're using them on the show. So what do you say we get started? Let's do it. I think I'm going to get totally pasted in war because uh, I just have a feeling rules of acquisition is going to be... Outmatched by just regular game? Yeah, I mean, you're going to get ships and stuff. I'm going to get uh, accounting software. <laughs> All right, I've, I'm, uh, I'm ready to flip over the first card. What about you? I'm ready. Three, Three two, two, one... one. And my card is a dilemma. It is Shaka when the walls fell. And uh, the card helpfully interprets that as the inability to understand. Incomprehensible Tamarians spoke entirely in metaphors. They sure did. And it's the uh, it's the lieutenant in the, in that uh, episode, the, the guy that the captain leaves on the ship. That guy really got punked at the end. He was no captain of the Tamarians. Uh, I might have you beat, Ben, because my event is war. <laughs> yeah! What? It's the 34th rule of acquisition. War is good for business. And wow. uh, the picture in the frame is of a Del Sol-class starship exploding, uh, <laughs> surrounded by a nest of Cardassian and uh, Maquis ships. Wow. Uh, this plays on your arms dealer or acquisition personnel once every turn of a non-rogue Borg battle was just initiated or opponent's ship was just damaged, download two gold press latinum here. So, I don't know. I don't know what any of okay. that means, but uh, <laughs> this great big explosion is pretty impressive to me. Wow. Impressive enough for me to call it a win. 
What do you think? I concur. One guy yelling at a view screen is uh, not as impressive as a Del Sol exploding in space. Yeah. <laughs> Let's flip another. Okay. Three, Three two, two, one. I have Morta. Uh, Morta was the security officer that led an assault team that boarded the entrepreneur uh, on Lurin's order. This was one of the Ferengis that took over the ship uh, during the episode where they got turned into kids. It's the Rascals episode. Oh, is this the one that had the guy from Big Lebowski that uh, had had the guys down at the crime lab working yeah. in chiefs? Yeah, he's <laughs> the one that was befuddled by Commander Riker's bogus computer lesson. Remember that? That was a great scene. <laughs> right. I am not stupid. My card is Dilemma. Uh, this is the Menthar booby trap. Remember they found that ship that should be in a museum? Yeah. It was surrounded by asteroids that suck power. I love that episode. A relic from the ancient Menthar Promelian War. Aceton assimilators trap passing ships, drain power, then admit deadly radiation. That Menthar radiation makes your breath feel very cool, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool spelled K-O-O-L, right? <laughs> I've, my vote is for your card. I think, uh, I think we both agree Morta was an idiot. Yeah. All right. Uh, ready to flip another one? Tied at one. Three, two, one. My, uh, I've got one of these cards that's kind of like upside down and right side up. Mm. It says, Covert Installation, Devora, Build Hidden Monitoring Station in the Neutral Zone. So I guess this is just some like shit you can do to like start off some set trip in between the Romulan Star Empire and the United Federation of Planets. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Those cards always confuse me, those, those double-ended cards. Yeah. Uh, I got a Dilemma card. Inside the picture frame is Quark with three phaser pistols held to his head. <laughs> the title of card is Center of Attention. After Morn faked his own death, Quark inherited the Lurian's stolen Latinum fortune. Naturally, Spoiler alert. This made him quite a hit with Morn's former partners in crime. Pretty dangerous card. I don't want to know this about Morn. Yeah. I regret even opening this package. (laughs) We'll cut all this out. Still, seems like a fairly powerful card to be using. I'd rather be a covert installation than have a bunch of phasers stuck in my head, though. Agreed. Two to one, Ben. All right. All right, let's flip some more over. Three, Three, two, two, one. one. Ben, I have equipment, (laughs) and the thing depicted in the frame is a giant cannon. It is the Breen CRM-114. Whoa. It's a powerful disruptor, guaranteed to cut through a reactive armor of up to 15 centimeters and shields up to 4.6 gigajoules. Damn. Expensive, but well worth it. This is a gun, Ben. What about you? I would love for you to Jackie and Laurie me a picture of that gun. My card is Poleth. Uh, This is a Romulan engineer, Romulan trained in the field of engineering, a specialist in artificial quantum singularity, served aboard the Kazora in 2369, is an integrity of three, a cunning of eight, and a strength of seven. I don't know. I mean, I do have a gun. You do have a gun. Oh, man, this is a big, uh, this is a great big gun. (laughs) Right? This it's is like, like it's a like the BFG. BFG. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see it floating about two feet off the ground and rotating in space. Yeah, it had to inspire this. 
boy. I I don't think I really have a shot in hell this time. Yeah. I, th I think the Bream CRM-114 kicks the shit out of Palteth. Hard to beat, Ben. Uh, are we tied up? Is it two and two? It is two and two. This is the deciding next, card. Next goal wins. Yeah. Three, Three two, two one. one. Oh, boy, Ben. You're going to need something big to have me beat. What do you got? Well, Adam, I am uh, sitting pretty with security officer Darian Wallace. <laughs> Ensign Darian Wallace is representative of Starfleet security officers. He held numerous positions aboard the USS Enterprise. He has an integrity of seven, a cunning of five, and a strength of six. How do you have integrity of seven? <laughs> it just seems like integrity is either all or nothing. The degrees of yeah. integrity interest me. Well, if you if you take a look at this guy, you can. <laughs> it's it's plain to see that he's a, a man with a great deal of of integrity. Yeah. I mean, he's standing right in front of Starfleet Academy for Christ's sake. Not perfect in integrity, mind you. You must ding him down to seven, certainly. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit of a shit, but but he's a Starfleet shit. Now hold on, you you Jackie and Lori me a pick. Let's see. Yeah, and Jackie and Lori now canonically members of the Maximum Fun Network. Yeah. So I don't know. In the family, we should uh, we should see if somebody at the network can like get in touch with them and make sure that they're okay with us using that terminology. <laughs> Turns out Jackie Cation and Lori Kilmartin are very litigious. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they trademarked yeah. the idea of taking taking a picture of something and sending it to their friend. I think Ensign Wallace is in some trouble from a Burrell class surplus Klingon bird of prey. <laughs> Ben, uh, the thing that gives Wallace a fighting chance here is that it's a surplus ship. It's much smaller than the Cavort-class ships. It's a little uh, mini-bird of prey. Mm. Uh, the Ferengi bought this one to support a covert Venderite mining operation on Legos 7. So there you go. It's to defend a mining operation? I think this little bird can rain fire on the dorm room of Ensign Wallace. <laughs> no sock on the door handle will protect him from uh, from this ship barging in on him. He's in big I mean, trouble. Darian Wallace doesn't fuck. <laughs> the thing is, uh, weapons are five on this Burrell class, and mm -hmm. uh, Wallace's integrity of seven might give him the upper hand there. Uh, I don't know what to do here, Adam. Are we going to call this one a draw and we have to flip one more over? Yeah, let's go into sudden death. That's always fun. Uh, all right, all right. Three, two, one. Adam, I have an event. All right. Espionage. Romulan on Federation. Romulan spies are everywhere. They certainly are, Ben. <laughs> but are they as prolific as Ferengi waiters? <laughs> because what I have is Fruel, a typical Ferengi waiter. He serves his employers as well as can be expected for a young, impatient, aspiring opportunist. <laughs> He's a waiter, Ben. A waiter. I have a network of highly trained members of the uh, espionage community. You've got a waiter. I'm depending on tip sharing from the bartender to survive. <laughs> Oh man! I think that puts me in the uh, in the losers bracket there, Ben. Well, not done right. any favors by the waiter. All right, Adam. Do you want to uh, do you want to stop this nonsense and get into the episode today? Yeah. What I'm looking forward to more than anything is talking about Deep Space Nine season two, episode twenty-five. Facets. Do you realize how incredible this is? Ah! 
No, of course you don't. AKA being Dax Malkovich. <laughs> we open on a scene of Jake interrupting Nog doing flight simulator. Yeah, flight simulator interrupt us. Anyone who's ever played a flight simulator knows uh, how shameful it is to play one. (laughs) While the other kids were playing real video games, I would often be playing flight simulators. You're you're landing a 747 at LaGuardia? Yeah. I love that shit. Give me me all that realism, man. (laughs) Give me all those switches and gauges. Man. What is the what is the estimated countdown to when you have a HO gauge train miniature set in your basement that is just like huge and perfect? You know, the business trip that my wife takes that lasts longer than 10 days will probably be the inciting incident for that. <laughs> <laughs> Left to my own devices that long, I think I think that's going to you're going to hit those hobby shops very hard and they will not know what hit them. <laughs> While my friends were playing, like, the Warcrafts and the Starcrafts of the world, I was in my room playing uh, submarine simulators, which my friends made fun of me for uh, by calling them gauges. Just, are you in there playing gauges, Adam? (laughs) Gauges, the most boring video game. That's me. When I was playing uh, Starcraft and Warcraft, I didn't have any friends to make fun of me, so... (laughs) How dorky do you need to be to have people who play StarCraft and WarCraft call you a dork? <laughs> I mean, I think it's just amazing. So dorky. Yeah, when I was in, uh, I, I had a, a an abortive first semester of college that I was like far too depressed to actually take part in school. Uh-huh. And I had, I, I was like sent home by, by the dean and, uh, I was also like in, uh, suffering from very bad insomnia at the time. It's a hell of a combination. So uh, there were like 36 hour stretches where I would like not stop playing Warcraft Whoa. in there. Yeah. Bet you were a stinky Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Hygiene was never a weakness of mine. Hygiene never an issue. The Benjamin R. Harrison story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe if I'd had gauges, I could have like identified what a doldrums I was in earlier on. You know, having a having a game that was like engaging and had like you know interesting shit happening in it, maybe uh, concealed my mental illness from me for longer than I needed to. It needed to be concealed. You remember how terrible the video game box art was back then? Like the micro pros video game <laughs> art for gauges, the video game. <laughs> So exciting. Yeah. Everybody's so muscly despite just being like an ensign on a <laughs> on a submarine. Yeah, everyone's so jacked. Ben, you haven't brought it up in a while and we can cut it out if you don't want to talk about it, but you haven't mentioned how you, how are you doing health-wise? I'm doing okay health-wise. I um my health insurance changed right around the same time as my the therapist I was seeing stopped using all health insurance. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm like eligible to get back into it, but I just haven't uh, I haven't done it yet. But that's a good reminder. I I should be on the to do list, and uh, and I should be more proactive about that. Yeah. Take care of yourself, man. Yeah. You got some people who need you. Probably sign up for a yoga class too. That'd be good. Boy, since coming back from Sketchfest, I have been a great big pile of shit. <laughs> 
just like I, I mean I didn't want to bring it up Adam like I really need to get back into a healthy lifestyle because there is nothing like a week of partying that just grinds you into a fine powder yeah the best time clearly I think we each probably had about a gallon of tiki drink per day that we were there. No regrets. One night we were on the verge of do- going to a second tiki bar of the night. <laughs> we fortunately talked ourselves out of it, but we almost did a tiki bar bang bang. San Francisco, one of the world's great cities for its many tiki bar options. Yeah. It's rich with tiki bars, Ben. But yeah, Nag is is uh, is still working on getting into Starfleet Academy. Uh, he's fucking pissed at Jake because Jake has uh, you know compromised a, a test run. He was like he was like erging, going for his two K split. Now he doesn't know what it is, and he's and he's angry about it. Why did you come in here? But he he was technically blowing Jake off. Like they were supposed to hang, and Nag was was late, so Jake came looking for him. I gotta say. Even if you are also a teenage boy, the level of risk of going into the hollow suite while a teenage boy is in there alone is pretty high, right? Really terrible thinking by Jake here. <laughs> I mean, given all the uh, all the shit that Jake was up to in that Explorers episode, you would think that he would be like this would be sort of top of mind for him. Like, what do I do when I'm alone? I crank it. Once they leave the hollow suite, Quark hits them up and is like, uh, you know, if this Starfleet Academy thing doesn't work out for you, Nog. I can always use a good dishwasher. The the consortium that you guys came up with to sell those self-sealing stem bolts can be pivoted to video <laughs> through the creation of a bunch of hollow suite programs of an illicit yeah. nature. Yeah, he's literally suggesting that the two of them collaborate on pornographic Hollow Suite programs. And uh, I was like pretty fixated on that topic until Nog starts storming off. And when he turns away, his lampshade is so fucked up. It's like totally askew on his head. How do they let this get on screen, this screwed up lampshade? I kind of feel like they didn't have much time to shoot this one. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the Symbiosis Commission decided that this would be the cheapest bottle episode of all time. What would Sweet programs look like if they were exclusively written by adolescents? I imagine they would just be uh, chicks with big boobs. <laughs> yeah, here's some are. <laughs> so, uh, so that's it, huh? Just, uh, yeah. just these big boobs. Yeah, that's all the program is. That's pretty much all we got. <laughs> Even big boobs number 74. That's that's just the variation on the theme. Jake and Nog? Number 74. Proof that we have a, uh, a winning formula here. <laughs> yeah. Um, everybody is getting called up to the wardroom, though, including Quark, uh, for a McLaughlin supergroup. Issue one. This is everybody that is a recurring adult character on the show, pretty much. Everyone who's on salary instead of hourly is at the table. <laughs> yeah. um, and that means like Odo, Dr. Bashir, Dax, Commander Sisko, Kira, O'Brien, Lita, and Quark. Remember Lita? She's oh, back. Oh, I remember, Ben. <laughs> Straight out of uh, episode 74. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
It's going to really confuse people when the title of this episode is episode 74. (laughs) What? What does that mean? (laughs) Dax cuts to the chase. It looks like it may be an intervention of some kind when it starts. You are the seven people on this station that I feel closest to. And I want you all to be a part of my Shintari. Right. Dax, like, I brought you all here because I love each and every one of you. Just saw a bunch of people that love you like crazy. And, like, Cisco's standing there next to her with his arms crossed, like, like almost like a muscle. I want to say some things, and then you're going to say what you're going to say, and we're done. That's it. If you'll commit to <laughs> becoming a part of my Jintara today, <laughs> we can move forward with our relationship. But if not, I will have to, I'll have to remove myself from your life. Dax knows how much fun this is to pitch because she is phrasing it in such a way that makes it sound dirty. If you don't mind, I'd like to borrow your bodies for a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to get up in you. And, and like the dirtiness doesn't stop there because pretty much everybody is up for this except for Quark. And Quark makes a big show of squirming. And then she does the ear caress thing and like getting deep into his personal space. It's so gross. This minute is so fucked up, Ben. You're not supposed to do this kind of thing in public. Like, it's it totally pressures Quark and do a thing he doesn't want to do because everyone agrees to it and then they're like drumming their fingers on the table looking at Quark thinking like, of course he's got to consent to this. It's not right. And then Dax lobe strokes him into being into it. Is there a headcanon in which Quark's misgivings arise from him trying to elicit a lobe stroke? In order for this not to be totally disturbing, you need to have decided that what the Jintara is is totally innocent and fun and not harmful and doesn't take advantage of the host. But we don't know that yet. The Jintara is a ritual where joined trills get a chance to actually meet their previous hosts. Meet them? How? I mean, it's dangerous enough to where they give they give the bad Dax to Cisco, like <laughs> under a very controlled circumstance. So at least they're aware of some of some downside to this, right? Yeah. One fun consequence of this scene is that uh, is that Dax finally gets to go up in Cisco, in in kind of a <laughs> a revenge move for what happened in the Mirror Universe. Whoa. Golden cut. The cut. Golden cut. So they invite a guardian to the to the station, and the guardian's the person who makes this Jintara possible. Like he he conjures the spirit of the symbiote out of Jadzia and floats it into the host body, so that Jadzia Dax can have an experience with the previous Dax face to face. Right, because there have been seven previous hosts, and so she's gathered her seven most trusted friends on the station to embody those hosts, and this is like a symbiote bar mitzvah kind of situation where uh, where she's gonna she's gonna undergo this rite in order to kind of come to closure with her previous lives and and move on with her with her new life. I feel like whoever wrote this episode really loved the TNG masks episode and was like, Asaka is waking. We're not going to make Jadzia Dax play all the characters. We're going to have <laughs> the entire cast play all the characters. I think that this is something that they got really interested in 
with uh, with DS9. Like TNG had a bunch of like costume dramas in the holodeck, and they and they haven't really done that much of that in Deep Space Nine. But I think with this episode, they get really interested in the idea of these actors playing different characters entirely. Yeah, and and so this is. I mean, this is a very fun acting challenge, right? To like appear on screen in the same costume, but as a totally different personality. It totally is, and yet it's not sustained for longer than a single scene. With all of these guys, we get we get yeah. vignettes of Toe Brian, which is Chief O'Brien <laughs> and Tobin, who is like a milk toasty, nail biting apologist man. Sorry. We've got Lemony, which is Leela and Emony. And all we know about uh, Emony is that she's a gymnast. That's it. Why am I not surprised? I mean, they managed to work her, work a line in about how great her body is that has to come out of her mouth. Gotta do that. Can't leave that bell unrung. In their defense, though, we also have never left that bell unrung, so we're just as bad. Quark has embodied the uh, the motherly and kind spirit of Audred, who in combination we'll refer to as Quadrid for the one scene that Quark gets. Quark does a magic trick here that teaches the viewer that the host body can break through and communicate with Jadzia Dax. The entity that lent me this body wishes to speak. He's kind of like sitting back watching the show inside yeah. his his character, but it, he's the o- he's the only member of the of the group that has been asked to bend gender and so right. it really grates against him as the most sexist person on the station and yet i feel like quark's argument against his circumstances are not totally grounded in gender and just grounded in a discomfort of his circumstance like right. i don't think he likes the lack of control that he's feeling in this moment dr bashir and tarias have combined to barias which is a simple pleasures man who died too soon. Sort of a, a Pepperidge farmman. Life's too short to deprive yourself of the simple pleasures. And then finally, uh, after all those very quick vignettes are through, we get a longer scene with Siskorian, who is the Joran the murderer character. For some reason, this episode skipped over the hijacked trill host of Varad. Right. He goes uncommented on completely, and I guess that's because the uh, the Guardian is able to handpick which previous hosts are able to be used. Like, that's the only explanation, even though it's an explanation that goes unsaid. My headcanon here was that there was some talk in that episode of there was kind of a time limit, and if they didn't get the symbiont back into Jedzia, it would, like, bond uh, with Varad. That makes sense. And- and so I was thinking maybe like it didn't the symbiont didn't actually pick up like a real life experience from that yeah uh, that episode for Jadzia Dax's safety they put Ben Cisco behind the force field of a brig cell and once they turn on the Joran part of him Avery Brooks gets a scene of Hannibal Lecter esque creepiness it's good to see you again Jadzia. I love this scene. It's a great Avery Brooks scene. What I read about this scene is that they had to go back and reshoot it because the first take that Avery Brooks does is so creepy and disturbing that they couldn't use it on television. Wow. Damn. I believe it too. He went 10 out of 10 on his first try and they're like, actually, we got to pull this back. This is too (laughs) fucked up. I would love to see that version. 
it is such a fun choice to give Avery Brooks the crazy one. Yeah, you yeah. know, because like he is so wild in in the acting choices he makes as a sane and yeah. and studied man, and it's a great character. But like to to see him really like sink his teeth into a nutball is very fun in this episode, and I I would also love to see the uh, the version where <laughs> where they said it was too hot for TV. Yeah, I mean, that said, like, Avery, a 10 out of 10 for Avery Brooks is, like, an unhittable fastball. Like, you probably make a conscious choice not to dial him up that high just because he'll blow the rest of the cast away. Yeah, and uh, too scary for any of the other actors to be <laughs> to be in there. Yeah, I mean, even not going 10 out of 10, uh, Avery Brooks does some super creepy shit here by, like, banging his head into the force field and then attempting to choke out Jadzia Dax once the force field is is lowered. I, I feel like we have never quite known what it t- feels like to touch a force field. I, there have definitely been force fields that are electrified and painful to touch, and we've seen those. Yeah. But like the idea that he's holding his two hands against it and then bashing his head against it is very disturbing looking and makes you worry that it's also like damaging his body like it's such a weird idea to think that there's this other consciousness in there that is going to inflict harm on this body if she doesn't do something okay so joran takes over cisco in order to choke dax momentarily fakes that cisco has come back and taking control over the body yeah and then upon being thrown to the ground by Jadzia Dax, is clear enough to Dax that he's back to being Cisco again in a way that strains credulity. Like, how does Dax know that this is real Cisco and not an attempt at a longer game by Joran? Right. And also, like, they don't ever kind of explain how they get Joran back out of him. Right. You, you know? never see the removal of these things, only the implantation. I was totally with you on this. They never put the straight jacket on him so he can't harm anybody while they while they remove it. I was expecting and hoping for him to be a going concern as like the the chaos agent B story of the SEP. I was too. Like I there are so many times in this episode where there's a opportunity to raise the stakes and they and they choose not to. Yeah. Which I really like about it because it's it is just a character study and a and a character history piece for Jadzia for a really long time. Like the first like real dilemma happens at like the thirty three minute mark in this episode. It really made me think a lot about what equals a missed opportunity and what equals restraint in storytelling. Right. I don't know that that's a question that I can answer after watching this up. I don't know. Like there are a lot of things that I wanted to happen here. Yeah. I. Th- I mean. My attention was totally held through all this, despite the fact that the stakes seemed very low. So I don't know. Maybe that's the difference. The difference is attention. Like it's not a missed opportunity if it still holds you along for the entire ep. Yeah. I wanted to call out Terry Farrell's performance in this scene uh, against Avery Brooks. I mean, he's obviously doing the biggest acting in the scene, but the way she shows how chilled she is by his presence like like what she does with her face and how how hard she she get winds up looking yeah 
is really impressive. I thought uh, she did like really subtle face acting in this in this scene. They frame her just right too. I don't think they I don't think they move the camera at all. I think it's just cross cutting. Yeah, between them, just clean singles. Yeah, and clean close ups, and yeah. her face just gets totally hardened. Yeah, over the course of the scene, it's re- it's really great. Yeah, for an actor who's not asked to act out all these characters like she's the one that remains like what a what a gift of a scene this was for her it made me think like what you do if you're if you're planning this out is you give the scariest personality to the physically weakest of your friends and i think that's quark right yeah quark (laughs) and his ferengi bird bones i don't know when we decided bird bones were was canonical ferengi but i know that was something we discussed a long time ago (laughs) Did we really? Yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> I like it. What are you doing? Exactly. Back in Quark's bar, uh, Quark counts Latinum while Rom's nervous energy is really growing irritating for him. Uh, yeah, because Nag is taking his big test. Rom uh, produces a Garrick-made cadet's uniform from behind the bar, which would indicate a superior confidence in his son's ability to pass this test. I thought that was cute. That was nice. And also wrong. Like, like even <laughs> even Quark knows that like they give you the uniform. You don't wear the homemade one to work. Right. I wonder what the rules are, right? Do you have to wear the one that is specifically issued to you by Starfleet or if you have like a really nice tailor-made one can you wear that it's stolen valor right I mean if you're an officer in like the British military you can go to Savile Row and have your uniform like made to measure I like the idea that that's like something that is still available in Starfleet era you know I wonder how Garrick felt making this because you know he had to have some feelings (laughs) <laughs> I wonder what the interaction was between Rom and Garrick as Rom asked for this. Like, yeah, have, are, are these two characters that we've ever seen talk to each other? This is a Nine Inch Nails Closer video with a scene missing title. <laughs> like, I wanted that scene. Yeah. Badly. I mean, there's just no time. There's no time for so much that we want to see in this app. Yeah. But yeah, like we got to see Chief O'Brien proctoring the test, which is also really fun. Yeah. And uh, and also digesting the idea that he one day may be subject to saluting Nog. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then we meet. Do you have a Do you have a name? Maybe you should say this. Oh, uh, Ben. You know we got to meet Curzodo, <laughs> uh, which is of course is the combination Curzon Odo. Uh, Mr. Bunker. Figure. Yeah. Uh, Odo probably the best body to inhabit. Because he's able to look like you. You do recognize me, don't you? You know, we see the process of transferring the the personality a couple of times, but when we see it with Odo, we actually get a really awesome morph effect, yeah. and he, like, grows out his hair a bit and grows some spots and comes to resemble Curzon Dax. Seems like a pretty fun dude. He's uh, He wants to go immediately to the bar. <laughs> like... He is ready to drink and party and hang out with Ben Sisko. Drink and party he does. They're like uh, ordering drinks. He's 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 going to talk to Jadzia, but he first wants to 
fuck around with his old buddy Benjamin. It, this is very delightful to Cisco at first, you know? It's weird because they're best friends, or they were best friends. Cursoto even says so. But Cisco could not be more interested in leaving the scene. I've got to return some videotapes. He gets out of there really fast, and that was surprising to me. I can kind of dig it because... Cisco has had to do a very complicated thing of both grieve the loss of his friend and also get to know his friend anew in in the person of Jedzia Dax. That's a great point. Yeah, he's already been through it. And so, like, I wonder, does that second layer of difficulty make it hard to, you know, like, we'd all, like, there are loved ones that we could all think of, like, how awesome it would be to get one more hang with them. You know, a stolen hang. We never see that pathos with Cisco, though, and I wish we did. Like we see, we see him leaving because he's got shit to do, but we never see a look on his face that shows how difficult this is for him. I thought a lot about what happened in between the scene of Kurzodo and Cisco leaving the Cisco quarters and arriving at the bar. Like what transpired as that as they walked down those hallways and took those turbo lifts. Uh, that's that's something that is never mentioned in the episode and I think could have been where that pathos happened. Uh, as soon as Cisco leaves, Curzodo and Dax drink the orange drink of body confusion together. <laughs> I believe bartenders call it the Freaky Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Dax begins to ask Curzon about her time as an initiate right as uh, Kurzodo gets distracted by a Ferengi hustler across the way. And this is one of many scenes that underscores the idea that the mix is a little off when you're doing Jintara to a changeling because it's not just one character on top of another. Uh, There's a commingling happening here wherein Odo's interest in busting crime <laughs> seems to be mixed with Curzon's raconteur spirit. Right. Trying to carouse and and cut loose while also taking a bite out of crime. Yeah, like he's he's gonna go do the coke. Yeah. The the idea that um that the path that this new hybrid character takes is oh, that guy's a that guy's a tongo hustler. Let's just go beat him at his own game is pretty fun. Yeah. What does Odo do with the money? Maybe he uh, saves it up in his I want to take Kira out on a million dates fund. And I'm going to get a job at Stockton up right in Falk and be so rich that you're going to love me forever. What do I do with the money? <laughs> Look at me. I am money. I just turned into a stack of latinum. A stack of latinum that's in Jake's quarters watching him crank it. <laughs> We should, we should tell people about that uh, that animation, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, someone made an animated video accompaniment to us talking about Odo's interest in watching Jake Sisko crank it. That is just great. If you go on Twitter and look for user WDW Plantoons, there's a, just a delightful little little animation of Jake and his dad cranking it on the uh, Bajoran sailing ship and <laughs> the sail uh, becomes Odo. It's really great. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm talking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. So Nagus failed his entrance exam 
uh, which came as a surprise to me. Yeah, he seems really, really competent and really like committed to doing this the right way. Like, yeah, you know, like one thing that's really struck me about this, like we just got done with our uh, our greatest Gen Con tour. <laughs> And we talked a lot in that tour about how the idea of Kirk cheating on the Kobayashi Maru, like coming from almost anybody else would make you hate them. Yeah. And like they like you could never have Nog cheat on his on a test and have it be a redeemable characteristic. You'd be like, he can't go to Starfleet no matter what. Right. He has to be stopped from being in Starfleet. Yeah. And it's really interesting that that plays in the exact opposite way for Kirk. Yeah, that's a good point. The redemptive property, the essential redemptive property of Kirk, no matter what he does. Yeah. So, I don't know. Always undoes it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really bummed out. Like, the scene where he's telling his dad about it is is genuinely sad. Yeah. And Quirk makes some comments like, oh, you know, like, they they don't know what they're missing. You would have been great. But anyways, like, get back to work and being a Ferengi. You've got to, you got to take these these defeats uh, with some aplomb and move on and uh man nog used to be such a punchline character and getting this amount of like emotional sincerity out of that character is pretty fascinating the fact that they decided to make him a real thing you know ram and nog both i think have turned a huge corner this season in that way yeah like you talk about the magic trick for kirk like I, I did not think either of these characters would ever be pulled out of punchline status, but look at them now. So dilemma has finally arrived, Adam. At the you pulled out a dilemma card. <laughs> yeah, and uh, after I figured out which was the right way up to look at it, um, yes, uh, Kurzodo has no interest in returning to being. Odo and a part of Dax's personality. Kurzodo wants to stay Kurzodo. I like it here. It's especially hurtful because Dax's reason to go to a second location with him is like she really wants to have a moment. Like that's the yeah. whole reason to do the Jintara is to like have meaningful moments with past hosts. And this is the past host that she actually has like personally met yeah. as Jedzia pre pre Jedzia Dax, and she's still eaten up by the idea that he kicked her out of the symbiont program and wants to confront him about it it's such a blind side because not only does he give an insufficient answer to the question he's like he changes the subject into i'm gonna live here forever now right which would suck for dex yeah i kind of feel like that would be an awesome move though for the show just like a character changes utterly suddenly it's sort of a strange uh like Kurzodo throws his sabot into the Jintara gears because everyone's <laughs> expecting all of these characters to go back to where they belong. The it's it's a real puzzle because they they there's no way to like get this personality back. They have to it has to come willingly. So they have to figure out a way to talk Kurzodo out of continuing to be Kurzodo, which seems really hard to do because Kurzan's having a great time in his container. Great time indeed. In Cisco's office, the Guardian says there's really nothing that he can do about this. Hands are tied now. Gets a consent issue. Like, right. You need, and you need consent from both Curzon and Odo. And at least according to Curzodo, Odo's happy there too. Right. And th- that's, a, that's a thing that doesn't go 
in- interrogated any further than that. Yeah. They just, they just like take that as rote. Uh, but I thought that if you move the dilemma further forward in the episode than 32 minutes, you could actually dig into that yeah. as an idea a yeah. little bit. But because they set up the challenge as have all seven of these actors play a different character for a couple of minutes, like there's just too many too many minutes to to use up in in you know on the path to getting to this scene, and they just don't have time for it, you know. They're concerned about what'll happen to Dax without Curzon's memory inside her in such a way that it feels like, like, this has got to feel like a lobotomy, right? Yeah. It's pretty scary. It's very scary, and, and I think that Terry Farrell does a great subtle job of, of conveying that. Dax needs some counsel from Ben Sisko, and in this scene, Sisko tells Jadzia Dax that... Uh, the Curzon that he knew and was best friends with was a real son of a bitch. But the thing with Curzon was that like he had an essential goodness about him that could be found if you were to talk him out of his selfishness. Like there's a way to get through to him because he always backs down when he's wrong. And clearly here he's wrong. Are you going to confront him or let him get away with it? Yeah, which is a great piece of advice, you know? Like you you got to call him out on the on the carpet and and call him on his bullshit and cisco knows from calling curzon on his bullshit like their friendship becomes so much more interesting to me in this episode the idea that curzon was hard to be friends with yeah and that cisco loved him so much that he put up with that and and that like the things he learned from that are actually valuable in his life, but also in this scene, because he can kind of pass that wisdom along to Jadzia. And when she goes back to confront Kurzodo, it's very effective. Like, the, it, it's exactly as Cisco predicts. You can't intimidate me, Kurzon. He's going to back off. He's going to do the right thing at the end of the day. This scene is a creep show, though, Ben, because Jadzia Dax pivots Kurzodo out of guilt over his his interest in staying to the guilt over the circumstances of Jadzia being chosen as a host because at the core of Curzon's initial denial of her application and then finally her approved application is that Curzon was in love with her always has been and in like sexy kind of love yeah Man, like, we joke about the whole Dax thing about, you know, being inside someone, mm-hmm. but Curzon's intimate knowledge of Jadzia without her knowing the true backstory behind his interest, it's not sexualized on the surface, but it feels rapey to me. No, I think so, and I think that he's torn because of that, you know? Like, he... He kicked her out of the the program because he could see the implications of what that would be like, and that would be deeply inappropriate. Yeah, you know, and the way she expresses forgiveness over this is surprising and amazing. I think. Yeah, it's a real miracle because this is this feels fairly unforgivable. But what is she gonna do? Right? Like he's a part of her, and that's the case that she makes. 
it's unforgivable, but he's also he was also in an impossible position, you know. He didn't want her to become a part of him when he knew how inappropriate it was. Yeah. Right. So you know, it's fucked up that the the way he chose to solve the problem was to ruin her career or whatever. But but yeah, like that's it, it, I I guess could she ever have been given a different symbiont? I guess I don't understand whether that's part of the issue. Like the fact that he through the deck symbiont wound up in her is either just a part of how it works or a like a crazy right ironic random situation. This episode depends on the viewer's headcanon to decide how dark this scene is. And I don't like that. Right. Because to me, this scene plays as extremely dark and awful. But it's really in the eyes of the beholder here. And in a way that I wish the episode stated a very clear idea of what was truly going on. It's too ambiguous. I agree. I think that if you're going to tiptoe up to this line, you got to be very clear which side of it you're on. Yeah. Morn, morn, morn. sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn, stop. Hammer time. One thing that's become clear to Rom, at least, is that Quark gamed the test that Nog was taking. Changed the conditions of the test to make it a no-win scenario. Yeah, an actual no-win no scenario. <laughs> and in a great scene... In a hallway, Rom puts him right up against the wall and threatens him and threatens the bar. My son's happiness is more important to me than anything, even Latinum. Remember that, brother. He says he'll burn the bar to the ground, which I was like, come on, Rom, like, you know that the bar is inside a space station. There's technically no ground. It's just different levels. And also a fire in space is super dangerous. Let's be let's be honest here. Great scene for Rom. Really coming to his child's defense in a way that has become a routine for him and something that I like relying on. Like, I like that he always has his, has his son's back no matter what. This was one take. They took the first one and then they moved on. Did you know that? That's awesome. Yeah. They, they one took this and then they had to come back and reshoot Avery Brooks because it was too terrifying. Right? <laughs> You never know when you're shooting a project when you'll need to claw back some time, which is why, like, if you think you got it on the first one in this way and it's this good, like, you're depositing time into a bank you might have to withdraw from later. Yeah. I don't like just taking one take, though, Ben. I don't know about you. I have a hard time just taking the first and moving on. I always want a second for safety. Yeah, it's it's very scary to, to print the first one. Yeah. You have to have a lot of self-confidence. So much of it is the tech, right? Right. There may, for instance, be an audio problem or a weird video problem or a glitch in the file. If you're shooting to card, like it's any number of things can crop up. That's Seriously. It's a, a scary proposition. But when you're on a pro set at Paramount, I think I think those concerns are, are pretty rare. So the last sequence in the episode is Ram introducing the newly cadet uniform wearing nog to uh to, to everybody uh he's got a a matching lampshade for his uniform cisco does call him out on the stolen valor issue <laughs> i love this 
It's like. <laughs> I, I like to believe that Cisco's still inhabited by Joran and he's just playing an extremely long game. <laughs> just snaps Nog's yeah. neck and then he's not a character in the show anymore. There's like layered embarrassment happening here. There's the embarrassment of being made a big deal of by a proud father in public. Like that's that's a thing that is unique to an adolescent. Uh, and then there's also the stolen valor thing. You're right. Like, he's not supposed to be wearing that uniform yet. He's jumping the gun. Yeah. But he does it for his dad to make him feel better, and that's that's a nice thing. Uh, Rom really put it out on the line for him, and I think this is a good payback. Because without his father's help, uh, he would be a failure. He'd be looking at a future where he'd work at that stupid bar. He uh, sidles up to the bar and orders from from Quark a root beer because uh, that he's, he's trying to get into, like, Earth culture. Yeah, he wants to get a taste for it. And then the button on the episode is a scene between uh, Odo, back to his regular Odo self, and Jadzia. And it's clear that Odo feels some kind of weird shame over the way he behaved as Kurzodo. Yeah, where an apology is made, uh, and in return, Dax thanks him. She loves that she got a memory of what it's like to be a changeling. She has yeah. like this new insight into what life is like for him. And he like experienced uh, the idea of, of like boozing and having a, having a great meal and gambling and shit. And, and that all is like, like new for him. All of that, all of that stuff was stuff that he could never fully participate in before. In the span of five lines, Odo goes from apologizing to saying that it was the time of his life. Clearly, he's he's twisted into knots here about his experience, but he can't take it away. He had a great time. Yeah. Like like a lot of great times a person has, uh, tinged with <laughs> a little bit of guilt. Yep. Or like all times that I have. <laughs> you really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did. You know, it's a it's it's a high stakes bottle episode because it is a very corny premise. It's an episode where there's no dilemma or stakes or rising tension of any kind for the vast majority of it, and then there's like a quick ten minute dilemma at the end. But I think that they pulled it off. You know, I really love the occasional Star Trek episode where you know, nothing is at risk at all, you know? Yeah. And I thought it was a, a really fascinating character study for Dax and a really fun idea to do that character study with all of these weird actors that they've assembled for this show. Yeah. Um, how about you? Did you like the episode? To me, the Joran Sisko character was so huge and got yeah. so little screen time. The consequence of that scene is rarely talked about like cisco choked out dax they should both and like they punched each other in the face yeah they I mean, should be like, uh... they should be bruised and cisco should have a fat lip for the whole episode like that's not continuity that that we don't get in a single episode give us that continuity yeah i mean i think in that way it's a little bit like silence of the lambs where like yeah. hannibal lecter is not really on screen that much in that movie you know he's He's just on screen, I, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15% of it. But it's like the thing that you remember from the movie. There's an emotional continuity to the episode that I 
struggle with in talking about whether or not I liked it because like there's such a peak in that scene. It's a spike in the middle of that bell curve emotionally that it feels like a totally different episode. The stakes are totally different and we don't ever get back to there. I would have liked to have clicked and dragged the Joran scene back one act and given that more time and consequence, I think just because it took me a long time to move on from it. And there's like story is happening in the aftermath and I'm, I just wasn't ready to make that transition. Like the episode presents some really interesting concepts and where it decides to give its time is maybe the part I have a difficult time reconciling, but uh, an interesting and a fun episode, I would say. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages in the inbox? Sure do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a commercial nature. Whoa. It is from Tyler White, one of the creative minds behind the band Man Factory. <laughs> known by dozens for their Street Fighter <laughs> rock opera <laughs> comes the brand new music project Monte Carlo. The new album from Monte Carlo is a story about a curse, dependence, and ultimately werewolf rehabilitation. <laughs> R-I-Y-L, spooky shit, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, vaguely folkish, alterna rock. Uh, If you'd like to listen to this album, you can go to montecarlo.bandcamp.com. That's spelled sort of like Monte Carlo, but with an A-D at the end. Right. .bandcamp.com, or you can listen via your preferred streaming service. Wow, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, thanks Tyler White for writing in with a uh, creative project. I love, like, that's one of my favorite kinds of, uh, of announcements here on the Jumbotron. Tell us what you're working on. I love it. One of my favorite kinds of announcements on the Jumbotrons is uh, when somebody from the Kristar Kolgar-verse uh, writes in, our next message is from Kristar, Mike, and Mock, and it is for RSVP Frank J. Colgan. <laughs> Frank J. Colgan was a true member of the hashtag Greatest Generation. From fighting the Nazis in the Battle of the Bulge, where he shit in his helmet and threw it at a Nazi, to mournhammering all the women of Europe playing clarinet with a traveling swing band, to enrolling in med school on the GI Bill and becoming an anesthesiologist. RSVP, Frank. What a walk. Wow, I think I may have just read somebody's eulogy here. Wow. That's a, that's a, hell, of a hell of a resume on that guy. We really walked through the valley of the shadow of death on that. <laughs> ben. Yeah. What a delight. Wow. If, uh, if if that is truly somebody that you've lost, Chris Dar, Mike, and Mock, uh, really sorry to hear that. We're thinking about you guys. And uh, RSVP Frank, indeed. Are we sure that this is a eulogy? I don't know. It kind of seems like it is. If you are filling out a priority one message for us, uh, and it seems eulogy adjacent, <laughs> maybe make that clear in the notes so that we can uh, address it with the proper amount of... Uh, of emotion. Yeah, yeah. If you would like to leave a priority one message for us uh, to read live on the show, 
You go to MaximumFun.org slash Jambotron. It's a 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, we really appreciate it, especially if you can give us some context about what we're doing. <laughs> hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I'm going outside the show for mine, Ben. Wow. Uh, I'm giving my drunk Shimoda to the art director who made the sculpture of a dong going through a hole in Odo's quarters. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is clearly how I described it. Uh, it's in the scene where Dax goes to. No, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> Kurzodo's quarters, and like it's framed basically center frame. It is a character in the scene. Yeah, it's very distracting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. It's been slithering around in there all all afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you got, Ben? Uh, my drunk Shimoda, I guess, is. I guess you'd just say it's Cisco. It's the combination of actors playing Cisco in this episode, and I guess also Duran in a weird way, uh, because in that in that scene where Jedzia drops the force field in in the uh, penitentiary there on the station, when they cut to the wide shot and it's like some physical combat between Jedzia and Cisco. It is like such a bad cutaway to stunt guy. Hmm? (laughs) Cisco's stunt guy does not have the same build as him at all. It really felt like a TNG season one conspiracy fight scene in Riker's quarters. Yeah, (laughs) it was a real uh, commander roundhouse Cisco going on in this this scene. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. Fun scene. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. 
head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? Well, the next episode is the final episode of season three, Adam. It's episode 26, The Adversary. One of Odo's people tricks Cisco and the crew into actions that could start a war in the Alpha Quadrant. Hmm. I feel like calling him Odo's people in the description makes it seem like just like a member of the security staff. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Another. uh, Not his, not his race. Another Cleveland Browns jersey co-worker. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm shocked that we're as far along into Deep Space Nine as we are right now, Ben. I thought we'd be doing this show another 10 years. Turns out we still may be doing Star Trek programming for another 10 to 20. Yeah. Such as our sentence at, at the rate that they're cranking Star Trek programming out. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, job security. Yeah, it sure is. Um, yeah, but it, it is also amazing that we're this far along. Yeah, pretty fun. Uh, what do you say we figure out uh, in what way we're going to be watching the next episode, Ben? Okay. Uh, yeah, let's get to uh, let's get to gach.biz slash game. Oh, I've got to be the roller. Yeah, it's I... your roll. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Let me get these dice in my hand. We are currently on... A very nice square. Yeah, we sure are. Square 69 at the moment. Uh, a couple squares ahead is the Quarks Bar episode. Yeah. Deep in the distance is an nth degree. I don't know if that's in range. No, I don't think that's in, in warp range right now. I'm going to go ahead and roll the die. Do it. Here we go. Ben, I rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Another one. One, the most common... Dice roll we seem to get in this game. It's actually a nine-sided die with a bunch of ones on it. (laughs) Uh, We advance one squared, square 70. And uh, another regular-ass episode of the show. Yeah. 
Love it. Love it just the same. Me too. You know what else I love, Adam? People that go to Apple Podcasts or wherever, whatever podcast reviewing place they might go to, <laughs> and leave a nice review of our show. It's like a polling place, to, except for podcasts. Yeah. Get, you get the show from your pod place. Yeah. Uh, five stars, you know, don't bother if it's less than that. Um, tell the people why you like it. Put some positive comments on the internet to outweigh all the negative bullshit that's on there. Uh, speaking of stars, I, uh, I was digging back through the Greatest Gen Con tour. I did do some light accounting to figure out, uh, the venues that we played this year. Yeah. And, uh, in doing that research, I found that we have two reviews on Ticketmaster for Greatest <laughs> Gen Con Tour. Wow. One of them is five stars. One of them is one star. <laughs> Someone fucking one star at the Greatest Gen Con Tour. Damn. I don't think that's right. I think we gave minimum two stars of entertainment on that tour. Yeah. Well, I am if, shocked. If you're a Ticketmaster person, uh, definitely go out, go on there and, and let them know what you thought. I think a lot of people left our shows very satisfied with, with what they saw. I blindsided myself because I no longer read reviews or comments, and uh, I, I got myself with that. Yeah. I got stunned on by that review. Yeah. And if you did that, fuck you. Yeah. Seriously, this show isn't for you if you don't like Greatest Gen Con. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Greatest Gen Con is probably our greatest artistic achievement to date. <laughs> I'm ready to quit. I, I, I'm not going to go on tour anymore after that. That's I'm, I'm laying down my fart sword. <laughs> you turn your fart sword to plowshares? Yeah. <laughs> not too late for a show title, Ben. <laughs> you watch, I'm going to name the show Not Too Late for a Show Title. Like, even later than yours. Yeah. <laughs> um... What else do, should people do? They should uh, go on on uh, on the social medias, connect with the friends of DeSoto, hashtag Greatest Gen Con, Facebook, Reddit, etc. Um, all of the great places. You know, go out, go out there and, and talk to like-minded, cool people. They're doing great animations. They're making fan art. They're posing questions. It's a lot of fun. I'm on Twitter as at Cut for Time and not at Adam, which someone attempted to write me at before. Boy, that would have been a great handle to get back in the day. Yeah. Ben is on there as at Benjamin AHR. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you if you're nice to us. And uh, not at Ben, which would, like, that would be a great very, one. Very, very impressive if I had that. <laughs> Go on to go on over to maximumfund.org slash donate if you'd like to support the show on a monthly basis. We'd like to thank Adam Ragusia who made uh, a lot of the original theme music for the program and Dark Materia, the original Picard song musician. Uh, we'd also like to thank Bill Tilly who makes awesome, hilarious trading cards uh, about every episode of our show. Post them on Twitter. And JJ Lendl who's been doing really cool portfolio print style poster artwork for every episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, thank you guys for, uh, for making cool reliably great art. And with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that appears to have been the subject of a fair amount of gaslighting.
I have a, a just a a quick public service announcement. Um, which one is my camera? It's uh, it's three o'clock. Is this one here. This yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Hey, listener. I know you're already halfway through writing us an email about why didn't we talk about Fermat's last theorem and how it was probably solved before this episode was ever even written. We know. We don't care. (laughs) MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.